before we get uh, far up on the word of prayer, Craig would like to make a, an adjustment in something he taught last week. Last week when I, I misspoke, and I sure didn't mean to, but when I said that Joseph never uh, begged for mercy or pleaded when he was in the well, the cistern, that's not true. If you go to chapter 42, verse 12, his brothers are talking and saying that we heard the anguish in your voice when we had you thrown down in there. And I don't, it's not a huge thing, but I wanted to make sure to, to try to correct it. I apologize for that. I was graciously pointed out, so I appreciate that. Last week, Craig kind of introduced Joseph and the trials he went through and how he was sold into slavery by his brothers. We knew that there was a lot of animosity in that family that was fostered, unfortunately, by the mothers and the father. I'll hold the father greatly responsible. And any of those, uh, those of us who have come from large families or have had large families, we can recognize how easy that is to drift into that kind of a mindset, just to let it happen. And please, don't let it happen. Don't let it happen in your grandkids' lives. Say something. Because you can read the story of, of Jacob and Esau. You can read the story of Jacob and his offspring and, and see the damage that it does to a family unit. Um, and it doesn't go away. It, as in this case, you can read on, and it's generational. It goes on for a while. So um, just a little footnote along that. If you take your uh, little worksheet I handed out, you can read the summary and goals. That's what we're going to be doing. And then, like I do, there's commentary at the, at the bottom on various aspects of this lesson. And then two of the essential doctrines, and I'll spend a little more time on those uh, as we get to them in the lesson outline. And then the lesson outline is there. Uh, God is present even when you seem alone. God is kind even when our situation is difficult. And God is at work even when we can't see it. And so we'll look at those passages and we'll kind of discuss them and then go on from there. One thing I wanted to know is they, and I didn't put it in your notes, but there's a, a German pastor and theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer have you, has anybody read about him? Good. Well-read group of people in that. So give me some high points of his life and what he was about and why his story even exists with us today, why it was important. So anybody want to say something? Yes. Right. Right. There was a lot of them, I'm sure. A lot of them, I'm sure, in that. And that's correct. All those are true statements about him. And the, and the part that we want to focus on, if you know anything about his life, is the adversity that he went through, and yet he didn't roll over. He didn't capitulate to the Nazis. He didn't give up so that he could have a safe job, because he was. All these things are true about him, but he stayed the course. He stayed consistent with the Word of God. And that is kind of the attention that they wanted to draw in this lesson as we think about a contemporary, I'm glad to see that a lot of you have read Dietrich or about him or know about him because he is an important part of our church history and that uh, a man who stood his grounds when it come to his belief in God and that. So Genesis chapter 39, we'll start in chapter 1, we'll read ver through verse 6a. Chapter 38 is talking about a unfortunate scene, but God chose chose to record it in chapter 38 about Judah and his uh, daughter-in-law Tamar and the events that went on 
it's sad to read, and yet God put it there for us to recognize. And so if you haven't read that part in your Bible, I would encourage you to do so and recognize how far and how easy it is to drift into sin of any type. And uh, that certainly was the case of Judah here. Starting in verse 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had bought brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made everything he had successful, Joseph found favor in the master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was in all that he owned in his house and in his field. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. That's a, a very um, large statement about the character of Joseph in this man's house. He'd been sold into slavery. He, uh, in some Bibles, it'll read Midianites, the Ishmaelites. They were his cousins that picked him up and bought him and took him down there. Goes back to Ishmael and Isaac is where they came from. And so I'm sure they were aware of who Jacob was. It's not recorded that way, and I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but I'm sure they knew who Jacob was, and they might not have known who his sons were. So we see this story here unfold, and we see that uh, Joseph was in this difficult situation, yet he never, never turned his back on God. Everything that he did... He obviously honored God, and God blessed not only him, but he also blessed this Egyptian named Potiphar. And that's amazing uh, that he would do that. Part of my notes here says, uh, Joseph was a blessing to these nations. And that, and I reflected on it as I thought about it, that um, to this day, Egypt and Israel share a very unique relationship. They've been at war, but they've also been one of the few nations that right now currently is somewhat at peace with uh, with uh, the Israelites, the Jews, and they seem to maintain that border. And they, there's a little bit more better interaction between them than the other Arab states. And so there is a certain uniqueness to that relationship even to this day. And, and I think that's something to recognize. Potiphar also recognized that God was blessing this young man. And we read that in here. Found favor in the master's sight. He became his personal attendant. He was elevated above everybody else. And Joseph is still a young man. There was other people in this household. And so it's important that we recognize how important Joseph was and how his character showed through in everything that he did. And it's, uh, it's easy to gloss over that and uh, think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But it certainly was. And, and God took the time to recognize it and to uh, record it down here in this chapter 39. There are some other people in the Bible that God also worked with during times of adversity. One of them we know well is King David. A lot of his was brought on by his own uh, hand, what he did, how he uh, violated the standard. He uh, sinned with Bathsheba. He had a man murdered uh, so that he could, you know, kind of make it right, if you will. And yet, God still worked within his life. He blessed him. He used him. He's in the lineage of uh, Christ. And so that's important to recognize. Uh, in 1 Samuel 13, 14, 
if you guys would like write that down, that talks about he was a man after God's own heart. And that's where that verse is recorded there. And then also, if we would, let's take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. There's a passage there that's worth reading about David. 2 Samuel verse 12 and verses 24 and 25. This is after the first child of Bathsheba had passed away. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went and slept with her. She gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. And he sent a message through Nathan the prophet who named him uh, Jedidiah because of the Lord. And so there was a special significance to the birth of Solomon and a special blessing, I think, that, that uh, God imparted to David at that time to recognize that he, because he had repented and turned his heart back toward the Lord, God blessed him as a result of that. So it's important that we pursue God, and, and we see that even when we've sinned. It's important that we repent and come back to the Lord and that. Another character that they mentioned that I read a little bit about was Hezekiah. You can find him if you so choose. You can look that up in 2 Kings chapter 18. Interesting passage here if you want to write that down. And uh, then also one that's uh, pertinent to today would be uh, Mary. And she certainly was in a difficult position. She was pregnant. She wasn't married. Uh, she could have been said that, oh, she was out messing around, and, you know, and her father could have kicked her out. Joseph could have scorned her, could have had her put to death, is what uh, historical punishment was in that time period. And yet, that isn't what happened. And so we read in uh, chapter uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 38, and how God blessed her, if you want to turn there. And these are people that the, our lesson is highlighted as a result of adversity that they followed. There's others as well. And this is Mary's response. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. And what a blessing that was to her, that, that she was willing to accept that responsibility and to carry on. Essential doctrine, and it's in your notebook, uh, in your notes there, is God is omnipresent. And omnipresence refers to his presence in all times and places simultaneously because God exists apart from outside of time and space. He is not limited by their constraints. And that is something that we need. It, it's, uh, as a, the handout says, God's omnipresence is a deterrent for sin and a source of great comfort and hope for believers. We need to recognize that, that this is a uniqueness that this God of the Bible has. We can see in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. I'd like to read some of these passages, if you don't mind. And this is Paul at the uh, Arpagos in Athens. He's talking to uh, learned men, uh, philosophers of the day, if you will. And it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. And he's referring to this statue that was there at the... Or Pegasus, and he um, was addressing them. And then the other passage we can look at, the other passages, let's turn to uh, Psalm 33, 14, talking about God's, God's omnipresence. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. If you're going to gaze on something, then you've got to be above something. You've got to be able to look out over it all, and that's where God is, his omnipresence. Yes? Sure. Yes, yes. 
Yeah. Thank you, Bill. And that, that is true. What uh, Bill mentioned is that he recognized that this God was over everything. And I didn't think about that, these local deities, but that's uh, very much uh, true in that day and age, even in this day and age. <laughs> and that. So anyway, thank you for that point. Um, and then a passage in uh, Psalms 139. And we're familiar with this, but it, it bears reading, I think. And this is this idea of trying to get away from God and, and reflecting on his omniscience and, and, or his omnipresence and, and the fact that he's everywhere. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live on the eastern horizon or settle on the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. So we see again that God declaring himself through David, or through the writer of 139, I think it's David, yes. So we see that significance of God's omnipresence and how he presents himself, how he calls out himself and, and acknowledges this, that, that truth that we have. Another interesting passage is there in uh, Jeremiah chapter 23. So let's look at that one briefly. Am I, am I a God who is only near? This is the Lord's declaration. And not a God who is far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places where I cannot see him? The Lord's declaration. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declarations. This again is the Lord, God, saying this about himself and, and um, really solidifying who he is and what he is and the idea of this uh, thing of omnipresence. Yes? How would I fight the idea of pantheism with the idea of omnipresence? Uh, I'd have to ponder that one for a minute. I know what I want to answer, but I want to make sure it's biblical. I think that it's important that we recognize that, that God is one person. His presence is overarching. It's not specific to little identities. Usually in, within pantheism, a specific thing is a God, like a cow would be a God and that cow would be a God, and that cow would be a God. Whereas with God, the, this God that we're talking about, it's this overarching presence that he has. His power is over all versus uh, um, individual items that would be a God in that. Yes, Guyan. Right. Yes, and that's, uh, Guyan brings out, he's never part of creation. We see that in Colossians, and actually I think uh, later on, I'll be reading that verse. So he's never part of the creation, but he's over all the creation. He is the creator of the creation. And that fights against pantheism. Before we leave this and we go on to the next point, God is kind even when our situation is difficult, be the next part. Is there any other comments or thoughts on this passage? Okay. Let's go ahead and then we'll read uh, Genesis chapter 39. Uh, 19 through 23. And in between uh, verses uh, 7 and 19, it talks about desires of this uh, Potiphar's wife and wanting, trying to seduce Joseph and his consistent refusal to do so, his consistent refusal to run away. And we get into that in verse 15 um, uh, or down there in the passage. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in his hand, he escaped and ran outside. He literally fled that temptation. 
And it isn't just sexual temptation that God is telling us to flee. It is any temptation. In this case, it's talking, yes, very much about a sexual temptation. It recognizes that Joseph was handsome, he was strong, he was good-looking, you know, all that kind of stuff that, you know, we tend to think of when we talk about sexual temptations, but he ran away from her. He did not. And as Bill brought out uh, earlier about the idea, and we'll get into that, about that it's, his sin was against God, not just Potiphar's wife and that. So we'll look at that a little bit. Anyway, let's start reading in verse uh, 19. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, these are the things that your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He, favored, he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in prison under Joseph's authority. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything that he did successful. Again, he's thrown into the midst of adversity and he comes out smelling like a rose, so to speak. As much as you could in a prison. I'm not painting a good picture of an Egyptian prison, believe me. But the idea that this warden thought so highly of him, recognized him, and this is through the power of the Holy Spirit working at that time in this warden to get him to recognize that and to put everything so that would be an elevated status once again he is taking care of Joseph once again he's pursuing and Joseph isn't fighting against it he didn't fight God at any point in this he didn't fight him when he was tempted he could have easily given in like what's the big deal you know she's after me I don't care you know God's not taking care of me look at this I've been done this and we can think about that in our own lives See that hand, see that hand, just a minute. But he chose not to. He chose to be obedient to God because, and that's, and that's what was important. Not for blessing, but because he knew it was the right thing to do. His character was such that that's what existed. Yes. Um, Beth brought out the point, if you didn't hear, that so often when we live, we do all the right things. We expect God to bless us financially, culturally, whatever those blessings, those physical blessings would be, that may not be the case. And Joseph's life in this part of the story certainly reflects that, that he wasn't blessed financially. He wasn't blessed with a house on the hill, you know, all that good stuff. He was thrown into a, a prison, yet God blessed him there. And it had to go back to his character. It had to go back to his attitude, how he responded, you know. Um, one thing I didn't bring out as I started this lesson is Joseph is one of the few characters that never displeased God. It's never recorded. Uh, we know he sinned. He was, we all have a sin nature. But God didn't see that, did not record that part of his life. But instead, he continued to reflect on how Joseph responded to each of the, the uh, traumatic events that took place in his life in a right way, in a, with a right attitude. Yes, Cheryl. He did, and that, and we see that through this whole story that it wasn't, it wasn't just God blessed Joseph; He blessed those around him. These, this was a pagan nation. This wasn't, um, and I'll get to a verse about that. I think we know what that verse will be. But to to think back uh, again a little bit about Potiphar, one point that they make out: this Egyptian, this man who is very high ranking, who again was just 
right up there at the upper echelon of religious and political power in Egypt, Potiphar. The, the Egyptian knew Joseph's character. He knew it of Joseph's dedication to God. So even though he knew that Joseph was dedicated to God, he still put him in that kind of a, a position of authority in his own household in that. There's an interesting verse. I'm not going to read it because there's some other points I want to bring out. And if it's not written down in your notes, you might look at uh, Psalm 105, verses 17 through 18. And it talks about the fact that Joseph was placed in painful chains. And it's another place that we can see part of the story of Joseph unfold throughout Scripture in that. And I thought that was good. They, uh, they bring out the idea, and we see it, and we kind of mention it. Joseph continued in full surrender to the will of God. He never once questioned God. He never once fought God on what was going on in his life, but continued to surrender to him. That was a, thank you for bringing that up. I wasn't going to go there, but that's a good point. If I understand what I read in my notes, it wasn't known that you were sent to be punished in prison for a long period of time. Usually it meant that you were going to be executed, and yet we don't see that happening with Joseph ever you know he was you know Potiphar could have had him killed later on you know it could have been that way but it, it did not happen that way and so that's significant to see that God took care of him even against the culture even against the traditions of that nation my my translation uh, Holman Christian Standard does say that he was furious with uh, with him but there is that there's some that feel that kind of suspected his wife might not have been that um, quite that good that obedient to her vows <clears throat> I think I made the note on your notes it said Joseph was faithful to God but he did not earn but he did not earn God's continual kindness to him God's kindness is never deserved it is always an act of grace and mercy and that's something that we need to recognize when we think about this that you don't earn it it is an act of God that he does that. Um, two verses I'd like to um, look at are in Matthew. And this, and it has to do when we're facing temptation. We're familiar with the passage, but I'd like to read it anyway. Matthew 5, verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When we're persecuted, when we're hated, as in the case of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I have no doubt that he prayed for those that imprisoned him. Um, Christ prayed for those who imprisoned him, you know, who did what they did, but he recognized that it was gone. It wasn't going to change. Um, and then also in verse 7, chapter 7, verse 12, this is sometimes referred to as a golden rule. Even the secular world recognizes this, but we have it here recorded in Scripture. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. And again, this idea that we need to be the first one to act on kindness. We don't need to have that kindness done to us first. We need to be the ones as believers that we do that. Let's see. Uh, the third point that we're going to look at is God is at work even when we can't see it. So, And we're going to find that passage in uh, Genesis chapter 41. And a few verses there we'll read. Let's turn there again. Genesis chapter 41. There's a lot that we kind of are skipping over in the story. Um, most of us know it. Most of us could chronologically give out 
um, what Joseph's uh, life was like. We've heard the story. Uh, chapter 40 refers to the, the baker and the cupbearer, and uh, Joseph interpreted some dreams for him and the significance of that and how he asked them. There's a part there where Joseph asked the baker and the cupbearer not to forget him, but they kind of did. We're going to start reading in verse 14. Yeah, verse 1. Two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile when seven healthy-looking cows. That's in verse 1. And that. So he was there for two years uh, after he had interpreted those dreams for those two men. Now, let's read verses 14 and 16. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. So we, now we get an idea that it wasn't um, a golf course or anything like that, but that it was down in the ground. It was a prison. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So there he is in prison. He's brought up. He's cleaned up. Took some time, I'm sure. Um, and Joseph said, so I hear you can interpret this dream. And right away, without batting an eyelash, without ever giving a second thought, he said, I can't do it, but God can give you a favorable answer. And so Joseph interprets a dream through the rest of the chapter and then uh, as you get down to the last verse after 37 Joseph is exalted I think I have this point on your lesson is that Joseph regardless of the circumstances always went back to God he recognized God's presence and power in his life he, he wanted people to understand it and he communicated that to the people around him and in this situation to the most powerful man in the known world at that time. He's not only the political leader, he was the spiritual leader of Egypt. And he had lots of authority and lots of power at his disposal. And yet, Joseph gave honor to his God about that it is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And that is interesting that God would even bless the, un the unbelievers, uh, a pagan nation, if you will, like Egypt, because J Egypt was very much a pagan nation. They worshiped the sun. Um, these uh, the pharaohs were considered deity. Um, we have all the pyramids and all that other stuff that is there in Egypt that went on. And so it's important to recognize that. A verse that we know, Romans 8, 28, does anybody want to quote it? Yes, and that. And certainly, Joseph was called according to his purpose. He loved God, and God worked it out. And that's important to recognize in that. It would have been difficult to see we read through this in a few chapters, you know, takes, what, 15 minutes at the most, and yet Joseph lived this for a number of years, day in, day out, and yet he never lost sight of God. He never lost, he never quit being faithful to God in that. The uh, other essential doctrine uh, that we're going to look at today is providence. Providence refers to God's continuing work and involvement in his creation. This includes, in various degrees, God's preservation of the created order, um, his governance and his care for his people, even the unsaved people, not just his people, but the other part of the world, too. Christians believe the world and even the cosmos itself is contingent upon God, incapable of existing apart from him. Christians also believe in God's personal and direct intervention 
in the world as opposed to a hands-off approach to creation that affects not only the natural order, but also the individuals and events within human history. And that's how we need to recognize God. The verse that I was referring to for uh, when I was speaking to Clay a few minutes ago is found in Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Part of this idea for, well, actually in verse 16, uh, should start there. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, invisible and the in the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. That idea that God is in control of creation, everything that goes on. <clears throat> Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance or reflection of God's glory, the exact expression or reproduction or copy, you could use those words there, of God's glory, uh, the exact uh, expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after making purification for sins. So again, we see how God takes care of that. He, after making purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and referring to heaven there and that. So we see that there in Hebrews 1.3. And then another passage to look at is back in Genesis 8, uh, 21 through 22. Let's look at that one as well. Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 21. When the Lord smelled the the pleasing aroma he said to himself I will never again curse the ground because of man even though man's inclination is evil from his youth I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done as long as the heaven endures seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night will not cease this is God's promise to us it's certainly an answer to current trend toward climate change and global warming, I'm trying to be politically correct when I state that and not be too sarcastic because there are some that are very worried about it. But we have a promise from here in the word of God, from God directly, that we are going to have these things. Even in Sudan, even in these areas that have experienced great famine, there's still a change in seasons. I'm not saying that it, that it doesn't exist, that there isn't issues with honor or earth, but it's just the groanings of a corrupted world, of a world that's under sin. And that's what we need to present, that there is hope, that God has is, assigned is this, and it's not going to fail. And then down there at the bottom, you have some uh, other commentaries that you can read as well. Is there any comments on this, or any, on what we went over here? Any thoughts? That's right. That's right. They didn't have this. They had the... Yes thought, a little bit of a rabbit trail that I'd like to go down for a few moments um, before we close out today. And when I was young, uh, it was thought that Christianity would be persecuted by something like communism, something like um, um, uh, socialism, possibly, what we've seen in Russia, where it tends to control us, the government controlling us. I never dreamed that we would see the day, and I don't think anybody in this room would see the day when we would be um, start to be persecuted because of, of sexuality and the direction it goes. And just as Joseph is the story we studied and how through adversity, he never backed down. I, I've been compelled this week. I unfortunately or fortunately, I listened to a guy named Al Mohler 
and he's really hitting this hard over this last week. And on Friday, he talked about a lot of the schools that have capitulated because of finances, because of Chapter 9 with the federal government, I think that's what it's called, and the fact that they receive funds for doing sports and athletics and other things. So they say, well, if you want your money, and now that you've built this school around this curriculum, you know, around this use of money, uh, you're going to have to toe the line and you're going to have to go down this. And I know we all joke or we have joked, at least in our minds, about the transgendered issues and that. It is going to come back. It is going to get more and more and more. It's going to come through. It's going to challenge us at our doors of this church. It's going to challenge us in our schools because it's being mandated at every level. And as believers and as Christians, you're going to have to decide where you're going to stand on this issue. And I implore you to make sure that when you respond, that you're not responding out of emotion, that you're not responding out of your personal feelings, but you're responding out of the truth of the Word of God. Because this is what we live by. And I have been guilty in my own family of responding unbiblically and not using the Scriptures to back up what I'm saying. Because if we're going to claim Christianity and we're going to claim the Word of God as truth, and this is what we're going to live by, then we need to make sure that we respond based on the Word of God. Not on our emotion, not on our feelings, not on what we think the Scriptures say, but on what they say. And so I implore you to do that. You, you all know 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, because this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Joseph didn't have that verse, but he lived that kind of a life. We have that verse. We need to live that kind of life so that when it comes to us, we need to recognize that this is where God has placed us in this day and age. So anyway, just a little bit of a soapbox, if you will, a thought that started to hit me this week, and I, and I wanted to make sure that I said something about it because it, it's, it's, it's just around the corner. It's not going to go away. It's not going to get better. It's not going to oh, there's going to be enough people stand up and say, oh, we're tired of this, you know, and the culture is going to change. It's going to continue down this road. Um, we have scripture and prophecy that says, as in the days of Noah, so are the last times going to be. So now you know what the days of Noah were like. So anyway, yes, Guyan. And days of Lot, yeah. Yes, and I echo your words in that. Essentially what Guyan was saying is that the gospel is our hope. John 3, 16 through 18. That is what we need to dwell on. That's what we need to understand, what we need to communicate to this world, that we are salt, we are light in this world, that you know, people have come out of it because they see the truth of Scripture, because God has convicted them and brought them to that kind of knowledge and that. So I'm not saying it's hopeless. I'm just looking more at the aspect of, of the persecution, the adversity that we will face as believers. And stand our ground. Understand that, that we have to. We have the hope. We know that from what the scriptures teach us. There's nothing else. We're about out of time, so I'm going to close in a word of prayer.